Hello and welcome to a special episode of the Fabulous Pelton Cast. I'm your co-host Kevin Pelton. And I'm Tristan Carcino. And the Washington Huskies have advanced to the college football playoff championship game. Will play for their first national championship since 1991, one week from today against the Michigan Wolverines in Houston. But let's move the game to Pasadena. Let's have it one last Rose Bowl between these teams before they become Big Ten Conference opponents next season. Incredible, this football game. I mean, that has to be up there with one of the best football games I've watched in my entire life, witnessed personally. But I think off the top, right from the jump, I think we have to acknowledge Steve Sarkeesian. And I was looking at, earlier today, a list of University of Washington bowl games through history. Because I was like, have they ever played in the Sugar Bowl or whatever? Did I just forget about that? No. And you're scrolling through it, right? And there's this long run of bowl games, you know, basically 70s, 80s, 90s. Every single year they're playing in bowl games and good bowl games or whatever. And then you get to 2002. And the Huskies play in a bowl game. They don't return to another bowl game until 2010. Two head coaches came to the University of Washington and didn't even play in a bowl game during that time period. It is an incredible period for a program that is at this level to have had that long of a sustained time period to not have been even competitive, not even making a bowl game during that period. And so Steve Sarkeesian is hired as head coach and not coming out of nowhere, but somebody who is a young upstart head coach who, you know, under the Pete Carroll tree, who we knew we loved, we were excited about Steve Sarkeesian really built this program as it is today. You can clearly trace Kalen DeBoer to Chris Peterson to Steve Sarkeesian and the Huskies playing in the national championship game. I don't think would be possible without what Steve Sarkeesian did in that year, way back in 2010. So just from the beginning, I want to acknowledge Steve Sarkeesian with a Steve Sarkeesian retire, bitch! Wow. Truly, truly incredible. Has BBS fantasy? Oh, you wrote that. Okay. No, That's... this was this was Luca who wrote that. Oh, okay. My notes in case I forgot. <laughs> Let's fucking go. What I love about that spiel about Sark's role, which I think is all true, it's <laughs> yeah. the third time on the Felton cast that's been delivered. It was <laughs> when Sark left the emergency pod, when he left to go to USC, and last year against Texas leading into the Alamo Bowl. Did I give and him I a gu- retire bitch last year? No, no, but I guarantee you, all three of those times, you thought it was the first time you'd ever done it. <laughs> Absolutely. I love that you just knew where it was going the whole time. <laughs> I mean, yes. <laughs> I mean, obviously. Like, come on, you've got oh my god, a reputation to uphold. Uh, you know what? Need I to talk about Steve Sarkeesian on this podcast. Wait, what were you gonna say? You know what? I didn't know where it was going. The final play. The, the final, final forty-seven seconds of regulation. Oh, oh my god. god! We have to acknowledge straight from the top. This isn't a Steve Sarkeesian podcast. This is an Elijah Jackson podcast, baby. The much maligned Elijah Jackson. A whole season, even a game where he was maligned. We see Jabbar Muhammad come out. We're like, oh, shit. 
We need him in there. And in the end, it was not Jabbar Muhammad coming back and making a play. You saw the tip to send a team from Seattle to the Super Bowl. This is the slap from Elijah Jackson. Get that shit out of here. We are going to the national championship game. Bring on Bama. I mean, I've got, got some news. Uh, I, I assume you had to really enjoy that because you would have been so disappointed if the Huskies would have just comfortably oh been able to run no. out the clock and not I see did not any need darkness. darkness. I was fine without darkness. I was like, just take a knee. The, the pit of my stomach did not need that kind of darkness. And thanks to Galen DeBoer for not taking a knee or conceiving that maybe the running back who is injured might get injured on one of the carries. Like, look, Galen DeBoer did almost everything excellent in this game and did some things very badly that almost cost him the game. And you know what? We are going to yada, yada, yada past those long-term. Hope he learned something from that. But like, good God, this situation did not need to happen. I mean, it's wild because... <sighs> How many times have you seen a team run out the clock in your life? Like, I, I've i often talked about the first Husky loss I can remember in 1992 at Arizona and how furious I was at Arizona for, like, kneeling and running out the clock. And, like, dating back to that some 30-plus years ago, how many times have you seen teams run out the clock? And I have never seen an injury to stop the clock in that never? situation. Like for the offensive team and injury, I don't think it would in the NFL. I think that's a difference. I'd, I'd have to look that oh, up. Really? Oh, I, think I was that, thinking about it the whole time. When they started handing the ball off to DJ, I was like, what are we doing here? He's injured. He is very obviously injured. This is going to but hurt he's been us. very obviously injured for three, four, five games now and hadn't ever needed this to be worse. down on the this field. This was worse. He was more injured in this game than he'd been in those previous games. Just give the ball to Tybo Rogers. Or if you're too concerned about it, Take a fucking knee and give them the 15 seconds. Like, that is really it. Whatever. It doesn't matter. In the end, we got to have our darkness and eat it too. Because that is, look, you're not going to tell me this wasn't a slightly more fun win because of it. If they just taken a knee and gone home, it's like, well, that's a great win. All of a sudden, they're involved in one of the best college, college football playoff games of all time. In a day that had two incredible college football playoff games. Tell uh, me that you want bowl games no, to come back. It, it had... One incredible college football last five minutes in overtime and one incredible college football game. That's what it had today. Because the first oh three, quarter, three and three quarter quarters of Alabama, Michigan were a snooze fest. But then it, then it livened up considerably down the stretch. But th this one, I, I just Bill Michael panics the dome. You know, like I hope that he gets drafted by the Saints. Like, I, I am really hoping for Michael Penix Jr. to end up somewhere warm and dry uh, because when, that man is unstoppable in perfect conditions. If Michael Penix Jr. somehow supplanted Jake Hayner on the Saints roster, that would really reverse the term Hayner. In... I, look, I'm for it at this point. And Michael Penix Jr. would be better for it. He'd be the best quarterback in the NFL because Michael Penix Jr. On, on perfect conditions. I mean, he basically... I, I don't want to say that he 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 pitched a perfect game today because there was maybe one. I want to say that he missed the throw to Culp. He he overthrew yeah. a couple of passes, but like we talk about that territory that Russell Wilson got to when the screen pans and you're like, mm -hmm. like I don't know what the fuck's going on down there, but I'm I'm assuming it's good. Michael Penix Jr. has entered the I'm assuming it's good territory on deep passes. His stats on deep passes must have been incredible 
incredible today because the bombs that he threw, and you have to give props to the receivers as well, Jalen McMillan, Jalen Polk, and obviously the GOAT, Roma Dunze, maybe the greatest hustle of all sorry. time. Did you forget someone here? Jack Westover? Yeah. He didn't get the bombs quite as much, but the one no. the one that he threaded the needle to Westover down the sideline, like the passes to Westover are never easy. It's about like the third and four completion that was crucial to Westover. Oh, incredible. Just picking it up. You're, it's one of those situations where you're like, why can't you just go get me four yards? They had one to McMillan earlier where it was the third and five or whatever. And it's just like, boom, first down right there. Like do that all the time. Make make the whole playbook out of the wide open Jack, Jack Westover play or the wide open Jalen McMillan play. Like, that is what this offense could be. And when they threw the ball in this game against Texas, who you've touted as a good defense, they were pretty unstoppable throwing the ball downfield. Running, not so much. Maybe we don't do that. I mean, the the Texas interior defensive line delivered in terms of run defense as advertised, and particularly in the you know third and one, fourth and one stop that was one factor in why this game was close, as close as it was you know, for the, the first half, what, even though the Huskies were dominating in terms of total yardage already by that point, that and the Jeremy Bernard fumble on a punt return. And at some point, the scoreboard started to reflect uh, kind of the difference in how these teams were playing quantitatively on a play-to-play basis. And then it, then it evened up considerably because uh, uh, the UW pass defense with a big lead was not so strong. But yeah, I mean, it started at the very beginning of this game with the deep ball to Jalen Polk, the 77 yard pass that wasn't quite a touchdown, but set up Dylan Johnson's touchdown immediately thereafter. Uh, and, you know, Penix, you said he's entered that territory. He, he entered it a long time ago. He confirmed it today. He, you know, build the statue, build the dome and build the statue for Michael Penix Jr. There is no more, no longer any question that he is the greatest player in Washington football history. Wow. Okay. Damn. How, no question the greatest player. I not be? No, he is. He is, especially with the magnitude. I just, Roma Dunze to me is like, I, I cannot quit Roma Dunze. Every ball that or goes toward Rome. It's just a catch. It's just like, he catches all of them, right? That, that catch that they inexplicably reviewed. They reviewed it because they were like, well, that can't possibly oh. have been good. But then it was. It was just a normal catch. It wasn't a normal catch. It was an amazing catch, but it was just a catch. Uh, but wait, I want to also call out, obviously the offense was amazing, but the amount of stops, let me see how many punts here. One, two, three, four, five. It's five. That's if, if you told me Texas has five punts in this game, I'm taking that every single time. Okay, and sure. for this defense, Texas's offense is a very, very good offense. To have forced that many punts, like they played themselves a hell of a game across the board. Braylon Trice played an amazing game. Jabbar Muhammad plays played an amazing game. Elijah Jackson played amazing play. Like th- this defense, they tackled fairly well when it wasn't Texas getting into that space that they were able to get into on those two minute drills. That's when everything opened up. But aside from that, when they were just running normal offense against the normal Husky defense, the defense kind of outplayed them throughout this one. And you could look at the couple of different moments. There were the I don't few know if different I go that moments, far. the mistakes mistakes that UW had obviously the Jeremy Bernard muff punt you know we're talking about that could have been a two-score game at that point if he feels it cleanly and rather it's tied instead and then you have them not picking up the fourth down those are kind of balanced by the fumbles for Texas you know this was a game that in the end 
I think mistakes-wise, probably ended up pretty even overall. They didn't hugely favor one team. The refereeing didn't really hugely favor one team. I think the thing that I, I guess in the end, I appreciated both in this game and the previous uh, college football playoff uh, semifinal game was they really let the players play. This was not the type of thing where there was a hit out of bounds on McCarthy in the first one, or I was like, that to me is a late hit a hundred times out of a hundred. And they did not throw the flag. Like they were like, these players have to earn it on the field. We're going to call stuff like false starts and things like that. But as far as plays on the field, that was, there was not a lot of it. I don't know that Texas, uh, which was penalized 10 times in this game, would 100% agree it was, with your it assertion. It was 10 here. times on kind of just some small stuff, though. Would you agree with that? Yes, other than, you know, the pass interference that was pretty blatant there. I mean, the, those 10 penalties only went for 66 yards in yeah, aggregate. It, and it was mostly obvious penalties. There was almost nothing that was particularly debatable. They got the pass interference that was, he just committed the pass interference to stop the catch. Yes. I mean... I, I think we probably, you know, you've mentioned Dylan Johnson's injury. Like, we need to highlight the fact that he, gamely, even though he did not have a lot of success on the ground, a couple of touchdowns, some big plays at times in this game, playing through an injury. Like, Dylan Johnson, we said it after the Pac-12 championship. It's only reinforced now. Like, he's he's there as a UW legend, even with, you know, if it's only a one-season one career. An absolute beast out there, Dylan Johnson. And what he brings in the passing game, I think Tybo Rogers dropped a pass also that was uh, intended for him that he probably should have come up with. I think that's one of the big differences between Dylan Johnson, I think definitely the pass blocking and pickups, and then the ability to be involved in the pass game. It's going to hurt you up against Michigan if Dylan Johnson is not able to play next week. I think it's seeming pretty unlikely that he will be able to play, but who knows? But if it is Tybo Rogers instead as running back number one, they're going to have to pivot that game plan just a little bit. And, you know, Dylan Johnson ended up with 21 carries in this game. I, it, obviously, three of those came at the very, very end. But they, uh, they weren't super pass heavy. They weren't over the top pass heavy, heavy in it. And we'll look at Michigan later this week. But I think they might have to keep passing the ball against Michigan. They might really have to force the issue here. I mean, that's how they're going to win. Like, that's what they do best. And they're going to be in a dome again. That's That's the good news here. They built Michael Penix Jr. a second dome. So it's, you know, CJ Stroud's pretty entrenched there. I don't think that uh, I want Penix Jr. to end up there in the draft. I think the Atlanta Falcons are a good destination for him uh, if we're on that topic. But I, they, the Jabbar Muhammad being able to come back is very encouraging because there was a moment at the end of this game where it felt like, well, geez, even if they win, these injuries at the end of the game are going to be so costly that it's going to kind of more the celebration of it. And so Muhammad, at least being healthy, mitigates that to a degree. And and he would have been an even bigger loss, I think, going into that game, given his importance to the UW secondary. But, you know, it goes back to what we've said from the start of this this college football playoff run. There's no dominant team like Alabama in 2016. You know, the the Huskies are not overmatched in any of these games. Michigan is comfortably favored, favored a little more than Texas was going into this game. But the Huskies have a legitimate chance next Monday to hoist the national championship. I can't even, it is incredible even to be in this moment, to have a shot to win their first outright national championship. It is an amazing moment. And for us to have one more shot to see these players play again, that's what I'm hyped on. To see them playing on the biggest possible stage against fucking Michigan, right? 
This is the classic Rose Bowl, Pac-12, Big Ten, UW heading to the Big Ten next year. There's so much at stake in this game. And this is the situation, like, we're earning it the old-fashioned way. This isn't you're getting in as an eight seed. This is UW possibly winning a national championship in the last season ever of the Pac-12, being the only Pac-12 championship champions since USC, the only time in the Pac-12 era, doing it as they're heading to the Big Ten with a team that they're going to be playing again next year. This incredible moment that we are heading towards here. I'm excited it's Michigan. I was cheering for Michigan in the first one. When they came back, when they won that game, I was hyped because I said, I want Michigan. As you knew going into the Husky game, I was confident. Kept that confidence for like 59 minutes and 48 seconds or something like that until the very, very end where I was like, I can't believe that we're going to lose this game on this fucking bullshit. But they did it. Elijah Jackson with the punch out. It was an incredible moment. I mean, I I think you pointed this out kind of in passing, but it was something that came up during, in the Discord during the game as well. Just the fact that, you know, whatever happens in the national championship game, we get to see Michael Penix Jr. and Romo Dunze <gasps> and all of these guys play at least one, at least, that's it. That's going to be their last game. One more game in a Washington jersey after everything we've enjoyed this season in ideal weather conditions, uh, maybe not so much in the rain and cold. Like that, that alone is success. That's, I mean, that's something you've also talked about for a long period of time, that the reason you see, want to see your team win is not just about the, you know, the, the feeling of victory. It's about continuing the season as long as possible. And the Huskies for the first time in the college football playoff or BCS era are doing that. This is it. They dominate the conversation really for the, I honestly, for the first time that I can remember, UW football is the most important sport in Seattle, Washington, excluding I mean, nobody. Like I, the Seahawks are going to be playing to try to make the playoffs next week. And it's just like, that is a fucking hors d'oeuvre. If they the, make it great. The Seahawks had a horrifying loss yesterday. Yeah, no, it probably like, I, cost it, them a playoff it spot. It didn't cross my mind. It happened and I moved on from that shit so fast. I was just like, whatever. They weren't going to win the Super Bowl anyway. This defense isn't going to win a Super Bowl. But you know what defense is going to win a national championship? It is the other one in the city of Seattle who forces punts, who makes plays, who doesn't give up record numbers to Mason Rudolph. That is the defense that shuts down Quinn Ewers, that makes timely stops, that comes up with the turnovers. They've been timely all year. They've won these close games. How many close games has Michigan been in? I was thinking about that. There was like J.J. McCarthy has one fourth quarter comeback in his entire career. These motherfuckers ain't used to this. They haven't seen the darkness like we've seen the darkness. I agree with that. They they did play a few close games at the end of the year. That Maryland game, you'll recall, was close. And then obviously... I want to the, mock them for that, the but game. it's like for us, it was Arizona State and Wazoo. <laughs> and Stanford. Stanford. Yeah. Yeah, no, we cannot mock them for that. It's like, oh, close with Maryland, huh? <laughs> Try playing Arizona State at home. Uh, here's the other thing. Florida State, their, their season, <gasps> you know, obviously without many of their key players, in addition to the injured Jordan Travis, many players declaring for the NFL draft or entering the transfer portal, uh, they lost earlier this weekend. Liberty lost today to Oregon. That's what... And a game that I will respect Oregon for the jerseys they wore and the fact that they took care of business in a way that USC didn't last year. But uh, obviously not as relevant as what UW did today. The last two remaining undefeated teams 
in I love it. the football football subdivision are Michigan and Washington, and they will meet for like an undisputed national this championship. This is how it's supposed to be. This isn't the War of the Five Kings. This is the two teams that are undefeated playing each other. This is how college football should be. It is an incredible moment that they managed to meet each other here, UW and Michigan. The rivalry that we always thought it was that Michigan never cared about. Like, <laughs> now it's going to be real. I don't know. We'll we'll see if uh, Dan Feldman weighs in uh, after he listens to this podcast and sees whether it's a acknowledges it as a real rivalry or not. It but, is now. Whether I they mean, like it or not, it's a rivalry now. I remember vaguely the the Rose Bowl against Iowa the year before that UW won the the first of their three appearances. But it's the back to back games against Michigan that set the template for me for college football. There was only one song that I learned from our grandmother to play on the piano. One song in the I entire world I can play. I heard it as, as they the were victors. going nuts. <laughs> because it's the best college football fight song, excluding nobody. Like, and, you know, th- that's Out the amazing thing. I guess I guess we should, yeah. Wow. We should, I mean, how often do you refer to the Darnells in casual conversation? How often do you? I will acknowledge Darnells? Nothing. It's the Darnells. The, yeah, there I, you I go. reference John Darnell on a, on a regular basis. Point made. I will acknowledge nothing positive about Michigan, the University of, or the state. Thank you. I mean, you talked about Sark and that moment of UW turnaround. I I think we should take a moment to recognize right here. (sighs) UW and Michigan played each other three seasons ago or two seasons ago. Not that not that long ago, and UW was in every conceivable way outclassed by Michigan in that game and now all of a sudden two short years and one key coaching change and several key transfers later they're playing each other for the national championship like if you would have told me that night as i was walking out of michigan stadium oh hey michigan's gonna be in the national championship game on january 8th 2024 like yeah okay that checks out washington is gonna play against them like what what is <laughs> wrong with you what are you smoking i, I just want to put this in clear terms for you there are three things that Kalen DeBoer and Michael Penix Jr. own. Number one, University of Oregon, obviously. Three consecutive victories. Number two, the University of Texas Austin. And Coach Steve Sarkeesian with two consecutive victories. And number three, the state of Michigan with back-to-back victories. We went into your state and crushed you, Michigan And we're about to do it for a third time this year. The University of Washington, Michael Penix, and Kalen DeBoer own Michigan and bring them on one week from today. Wait, what year was Kalen DeBoer the offensive coordinator at Indiana? It was 2000, was it 2019? Yeah. Uh, uh, Michael Penix Jr. was not healthy by that point when they played Michigan. But 2020, without DeBoer, Beat Michigan, went 30 of 50 for 342 yards and three touchdowns. And yeah, it looks like that was his only career game against Michigan. So Michael Penix wow. Jr. is undefeated. Undefeated in Michigan, baby. And he he did lose once to Michigan State. So he is sadly not undefeated all time against the state of Michigan. But a pretty good winning percentage against that state, all things considered. I mean, look, what Kaywin DeBoer and Ryan Grubb and the rest of this coaching staff like you know, you talk about the defense, they don't get a lot of credit, but uh, shout out to Chuck Morrell and William Inge, the co-defensive coordinators, for putting together a good game plan in this one that Texas struggled for a long period of time to take full advantage of. And 
Again, it's just like even at the start of the year, it was a really optimistic. Like none of us were boldly predicting that the Huskies were going to play in the national championship game this season. So they have exceeded even our boldest predictions already. I did say earlier today that I felt like no matter what happened, I wasn't going to be that upset because any just getting to the college football playoff was amazing. Anything that happened from here was gravy. Then they took a 13-point lead in the fourth quarter and led by six with the ball with 47 seconds left and a running clock. And then that that particular feeling went out the window. It would have been one of the most brutal losses in Seattle sports history, second only to the cancellation of Super Bowl 49 uh, in the final minute of that one. But thankfully... We saw the darkness, we survived, and the Huskies had it all the way. On that note. Thanks for listening. Thanks. Go dogs. Holy shit. I can't even. We fucking just beat Texas. Oh, I'm so excited. I just wanted Michigan to begin with, right? Yeah. This is who I wanted all along. And so that we get them in the natty is even better i mean it would be better if the natty were in the rose bowl but i'd whatever i'll take it but we don't no... we don't want Penix outside <laughs> it's okay it's we warm enough weather i think he would be okay it's insane how good he is i just can't even like looking at his stats i'm just like what were you were you just freaking out at home i was trying to remain calm <laughs> The 532 yards, I mean, just, like, absurd. Didn't even do well on third downs. <sighs> it was a beauty. Like, every time we dropped back to pass, I was like, oh, they're going to get a completion. I haven't felt that way in so long. Yeah. Anyway, I'm hyped. Really? One, one, one way or another, I, I feel like it's going to be a really good game against Michigan. Probably. I feel like that's all we can ask for. Yeah, <sighs> yeah Luca. <clears throat> May the Steve Sarkeesian retire, bitch. Oh, you've taught him so well. Yeah, I really have. I I also, I just have to say, on the weekly podcast, called all of that game. I Yeah, that is the one annoying thing about this. That I was exactly right. Yes. Like, they couldn't stop us. The defense played well enough. The moment was too big for them in a couple of places. I like, don't know if I'd say that. They came out real rusty. We They came out with a really strange three and out where Quinn Ewers wasn't anywhere near. Like, he, they started really slow in that game. And I feel like for Texas, there was a little bit of, like, these people haven't been here before. Two years from now, call me. You know what I mean? But, like... This wasn't a team that was ready to play in a game like this. And we've been way more battle-tested. I would agree with that. So, I I think Michigan, on the other hand, has done this. And that's how they got there. It was like, I do feel like there's like a grind to it or something. But Michigan, they had to earn it every single time and understand what it was like playing against these teams at a super, super elite level. If I had any question, I don't know. I don't think Texas is at is truly at the level of Michigan or Bama or somebody. Yeah, yeah, I agree. With I think th I think they are a scale below there, but like we were quite a bit better than them. So, 
if if anything, we are right in between. And I think Oregon might be at that level too. It was like in the Liberty game, they scored their first touchdown or whatever to go up 10-6. And I was like, Luca, that it's over. Like this game is done. There's no chance of Liberty coming back. And then Liberty did not score again. Didn't catch it. And Liberty was trying. You know, it's not like Florida State, but also thank God Florida State wasn't in that freaking playoff. It just would have been such a like snooze fest. They got two excellent games. The people who are most vindicated are ESPN and, and the committee. Like I'm sure they were smugly watching that 63 to 3 and just being like. Yeah. We I'm told sure you. Like I I do not buy the the thing about their backups. You know what I mean? Like, or about the opt-outs. I mean, I don't not buy it, but that's not 60 points worth worth of explanation. Yeah, like, no, George is obviously a better team than Florida State without Jordan Travis. Like, the, no one questions this. I don't think even Florida Georgia State might be a better team than all four of the teams that are playing that played today. Very plausible. I mean, they they ended up in a really really shitty matchup, Florida State. But it's just like, I feel like there's a chance that they're complaining about this might set the program back. Like they might have like a seven and five year next year or something. I agree. So even with like DJ win forever. It it was just like there was a, a post that I saw about Dan Mullen saying that his team kind of quit after like they lost the SEC championship game and they just got destroyed and then I feel like that hurt them. And it's like you did so much complaining about this. Like I get it. I understand the complaining, but you're talking about like legal action and stuff and then immediately trying to get out of the ACC. I feel like Florida State is too consumed with outside factors and not consumed. Kalen DeBoer would never. Like, he would have had that. If we would have been left out, he might have been like, this is a travesty, but he would have had that team on lock. And Mike Norvell was not ready for that shit. Yeah. It's so. literally in the book, win forever. It's all there in the playbook. Now, uh, I would encourage people not to pay attention to the fourth down thinking espoused and win forever. Oh, my God. That was the other thing I wanted to mention. Kalen, the balls on Kalen DeBoer. That fourth down in the first half? Yeah. It, I, it was, when they sit off, I was hyped, obviously. I didn't want them to punt, you know what I mean? And then when they did the the trying to draw them off sides thing, I was just like, ugh. But he's done that a few times, like the Wazoo game, where they called the timeout, yep. they did the draw off sides things, called the timeout, then sent the offense back out there, and it was like, yeah, we're serious about this shit. There were some moments that Sarkeesian punted where I was like, Dan Lanning would have gone for that fourth down. Uh there wasn't like any galling decision there. It's it's not that there was a galling decision. It's that Dan Lanning would have gone for it. Hold on, what was the one? It was fourth and five at Texas forty one down thirty one twenty one. Like, yeah. I mean, we came down and hit a field goal. We could have easily scored a touchdown there. We got to the ten yard line. You know. Yeah. It was it to me. The second they punted, I was just like, I feel like we got him, you know? So, and I, I think Kalen DeBoer might have gone for that too. But I know that Dan Lanning would have. And that's why, like, Sark is just not not going to be at that level. I get it. I get why the people are excited about Dan Lanning. Because I immediately thought of that. And I was like, nobody at Harbaugh wouldn't have. Nick Saban wouldn't have. Steve Sarkeesian didn't. I think Kalen DeBoer probably would have. And I think Dan Lanning would have. Because they've been in these games and they understand. When you're playing against fucking like a bunch of trash Big Ten teams all the time, and you have one game that matters all year, it's just not the same. Or, or even like Sark kicking that field goal. We talked about this. It's I was all right, right there. 
on the decision making. Start kicking that field goal against Oklahoma and then losing the game. I don't think that was that was like they were down ten. Yes, he probably should have gone for it. The reason he should have gone for it is because the Huskies were already dominating the game. Yeah, but that's why Dan Lanning would have gone for it. But that's not why Texas lost, is my point. Like, Texas lost against Oklahoma because they kicked that field goal. I mean, they ended up making it a closer game in the end, but, like, they had to fight. They got down 13 points. They needed two touchdowns because of that. If they would have only needed a field goal. Also, oh, my God, here's another point. Listen to this. Fourth and four. I was trying to tell Katie this. Fourth and four when they choose to kick the field goal instead of going for the touchdown the first time down on the two-minute drill. And I was like, the thinking is, are you going to be in a tougher situation later? Fourth and four, fourth and four, basically fourth and goal from the 12, right? They were mm-hmm. in a tougher situation later that they didn't go for because they wanted to extend the game. And they got lucky to be in that situation. Again, Man. I agree these were not optimal decisions. The reason the Huskies won this is because their offense and their defense were better than Texas's I offense I agree with defense. you, but all, those things matter. If they needed a field goal at the end okay, of that well, game. Okay, well, great. Well, I'll remember that the next time they play against Texas, which is maybe never. If they, I come, Steve Sarkeesian retire, bitch. <laughs> it all comes back to the sign. If they needed a field goal in that moment, at the I, very end, it's a totally different game if they go for the touchdown Remember first. when you wanted this to be a quick emergency pod? And then you talked for okay. longer after we signed off than we did during the actual podcast? There were there were points that I needed to make. <sighs> Wait, are you are you including all this? Yeah. Okay. Well, the, that, that was a good point. You're not acknowledging these things. And I told you all of it during the podcast this week, and you couldn't hear it. Because you were biased. Everybody was talking about how they loved the like analytical ESPN's Kevin Belton, ESPN senior writer Kevin Belton, right? All stats. You've got your spreadsheets of everything, and you're just like, you're jinxing the team. <laughs> I mean, you had that moment during this game when they were up 13, right? Where you're like, I'm thinking thoughts I shouldn't be thinking. Yet. Oh, too many times. Too many times. I read a tweet from Brett McMurphy when we were up 10 or something that was like the line opened. Michigan minus four and a half against the University of Washington. And I was like, you take that line down, sir. I'm like, at FanDuel, please remove this line. Yeah. <laughs> Look, I'm supposed to believe in jinxes. <laughs> You're the one who's not supposed to believe in jinxes. As I said on the Discord, we contain multitudes. Yeah, there's layers to the shit. <laughs> on that note, <laughs> oh, for real this time. Thanks for listening again. Oh, God. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs>